two guys from Milwaukee. Here we go again. It's those two guys from Milwaukee. Welcome to Low Orbits, the podcast mini-sode in which two writers watch some TV. Welcome to Unknown Orbits. I'm Patrick Baird. I'm Steve Reitze. We're premiering a new feature on Unknown Orbits, Low Orbits. These are going to be short episodes that focus on short episodes of television from the golden age of science fiction. These will be shorter than our standard episodes, but every bit as interesting and entertaining, we hope. We hope. So our first selection is The Doomsday Machine from Season 2 of Star Trek, the original series. This is the episode where a planet-killing machine that wandered into our galaxy from outside starts destroying solar systems. And the Enterprise is sent in to investigate, and they find the wreck of their sister ship, the Constellation, with the only surviving crew member being the captain, played by character actor William Wyndham. And they have some tension and some conflict throughout the episode as Wyndham briefly takes over the Enterprise to try to take revenge on this giant killing machine, which looks like a cigar, basically. It's like a five-mile-long cigar. I referred to this as the Space Cucumber episode, believing that this was Star Trek fandom lore. It could be. It does look a bit like a cucumber, like a cucumber with one end sliced off. So the Enterprise winds up attacking the Doomsday Machine with the captain of the Constellation at the helm, and it's unsuccessful and are damaged significantly. In fact, they're damaged to the point where the transporter no longer works, and Scotty and Captain Kirk are trapped on the wreck of the Constellation. And eventually, Mr. Spock takes control of the situation on the Enterprise, gets the captain of the Constellation off the bridge, Unfortunately, they put him in the charge of Lieutenant Kowalski. (laughs) So he immediately gets knocked out, and then Captain Ahab gets onto a rowboat and tries to attack the cucumber. Yes. For those of you who don't get the reference, Steve and I have a running joke on the television show Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which was a contemporary show with Star Trek. There was a character, Seaman Kowalski, I think. Ah, Seaman Kowalski, who every episode, he was the one that got knocked out by the villain or the monster and somehow screwed everything up. And what we know of traumatic brain injuries now, he should have been mustered out pretty quickly. he was probably a drooling vegetable by the time the series ended. He was the red shirt. They had red shirts on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, but he was like the recurring red shirt. You think it was a budgetary thing? Yeah, yeah, because a nuclear-powered submarine, especially an advanced nuclear-powered submarine, would probably have a crew of like 100 maybe, 80, 100. But if you think back from watching that show, it was actually like 12. Yes. It looked like 12. Because some producer took the cigar out of his mouth and said, you got enough people, you want security? You got one guy, one actor. (laughs) He's not even a security officer. He's just a guy (laughs) that, that was, all right, Kowalski, take him down to the brig. And, of course, he never got to the brig because he'd knocked out Kowalski and escaped. But that's a diversion, but it's relevant to what we're talking about here, television of the 1960s. So when Captain Ahab, as you wonderfully put it, blows up his 
shuttlecraft inside of the planet killer and the energy level of the planet killer drops slightly. That gives Kirk a plan. So Kirk rigs the constellation to explode and takes it straight into the mouth of the planet killer. And of course, there's some additional tension created when the transporter conveniently malfunctions again. So they get him out just barely in the nick of time and it blows up and it kills the planet killer and everybody lives happily ever after. Now, right at that point, I didn't mention this at the time, but they do a, a, they have a bit of business, which is in Star Trek, the motion picture. And I'm now thinking was used multiple times where Kirk is waiting for them to do something to prevent him from dying. And he does this kind of, it's actually a nice bit where he's doing, okay, beam me up. Okay, now's good. Okay, anytime. Yeah, that, that, so that's an example of why you were the one that recommended this. This is one of your favorite episodes, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's also one of my favorites too. For me, it's the best action Star Trek episode. There were not a lot of action episodes. The one that always sticks out in my mind is the one that's basically a submarine movie where they encounter the Romulans for the first time. Ah. And it's kind of a back and forth hunting each other. It's very tense. It's also one of the better episodes of Star Trek, which features Mark Leonard as the Romulan commander. That was his first role on Star Trek. He was on the original Star Trek series three times. He was also Spock's father, Sarek. So there were only maybe a half a dozen of what I would consider action episodes where it's mostly just Star Trek fighting an intergalactic monster or the Romulans or the Klingons or something. And this is one of them, and I think it's the best. Yeah, it's action pretty much beginning to end. From the very beginning, the pre credit scene all the way to the end, it builds tension, it finds creative ways. And this is a really good lesson, I think, for a writer, is it wrings every little bit of suspense it can out of the situation by not only the suspense of having to fight this almost unkillable machine and interpersonal conflict because the captain of the Constellation is, like you said, he's Captain Ahab. His entire crew was murdered when he transported them down to the surface of the planet when the ship was wrecked, and then it destroyed the planet, killing his entire crew. It does a great job of building suspense on every level, which is why I think not only you and I, but a lot of people, this is one of their favorite episodes. One thing that puzzles me, and the purpose of these episodes is not to do a lot of research. It's just yes. to enjoy. We deliberately try to not do much research for these. But one question I've had, and I will look up later, this planet killer is so similar to the concept of the Berserker written by who? Fred Saberhagen, which I haven't read. I think the Berserker series started in the mid-60s. And I just wonder if it's a tremendous coincidence, if there's some sort of connection. I mean, as I said, we didn't do any research, so maybe he's in the credits. I don't know. Right. One of the questions I always have from this show is, who overacted the most on this show? William Wyndham, the guest star who played the captain of the Constellation, or Kirk, played by Shatner? I had another thought about that. Well, go ahead and let's share your thought. If you have an actor in a scene with William Shatner and you notice the actor's acting... I don't think you have to ask if he's overacting. That's a good measure. That's a good objective measure. 
I'm very reluctant to accuse William Wyndham of overreacting because I kind of like overacting in certain situations. I'm okay with drama that goes a little bit over the top, especially in the case of a show like this, which was a very good show with a lot of tension and a lot of action, a lot of suspense. So having one of your prime actors overacting a bit, I think it's okay. I think it helps add to the overall fun of the episode. Well, there are two moments when Commander Decker... Yes, that's the character, Commander Decker of the Constellation. No, Commodore Decker. Yes. Yeah, Commodore Decker. Commodore Decker. So he actually outranks Kirk. Yes. That's an important plot point. Yes. So the two points are when he's coming out of his shock, and McCoy's are giving him shots. Probably stimulants, like (laughs) cocaine or something. Well, meth. Yeah, meth. And when the shuttlecraft is just about to be destroyed, he's going into the maw of the planet killer and whatever beam or field is starting to affect him. I would compare that to Kirk in the torture chair on the planet where the prisoners took over. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't blame William Wyndham in that situation because I'm sure what they did is they put him in the chair for the set for the shuttlecraft, right? And they said, okay, I want 12 reaction shots of you reacting as you're being killed. Yeah, we're going to shine a flashlight on you. Yeah. And that's the killer. Yeah. And so he did like 12 or 15 reaction shots. And then it was the director who decided which ones to use. So maybe he did some really subtle ones that were discarded and not used. And they only went for the ones that were the most over the top. Okay, we're done now. But, you know, just for the gag reel at the end of the year, really sell it. (laughs) I just want to say, William Wyndham, the actor, was in one of my favorite TV shows back in the day. It was called My World and Welcome to It. It was a sitcom based on the writing of James Thurber. Now, younger readers may not know who James Thurber was, but he was an acclaimed comedy writer, a comic writer from the 1940s, 1950s. He was the sure, guy... Was like the 20s? I thought it was 40s, 50s. That's my recollection because we read James Thurber in school. So James Thurber is best remembered for the very famous story, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh! Which most of us older people read when we were in junior high school or high school. It's the story of a very mild and meek-mannered accountant who has this rich dream life where he's a swashbuckling hero. And it's a terrific story. It was adapted into a decent movie starring Danny Kay, I believe. Yes. I think it was adapted one more time, but I don't remember ever seeing that. Ben Stiller, I skimmed through it, and I think they changed it a bit. I'm sure it probably wasn't that good. So this sitcom was adapting a number of his short stories. And again, it was kind of like Walter Mitty, where the show would cut to these fantasy sequences where he's experiencing what's in his stories. It was a pretty good show. It was good enough where William Wyndham got a primetime Emmy for his performance in that show. So answering the question, was he hamming it up in Star Trek? Maybe, but he was a good enough actor otherwise to win a primetime Emmy. He could reel it in. He could reel it in. So I'm going to blame the director. I'm going to say that Why not? he delivered some really solid takes, and the director went with the ones that were the most over the top. The party reel. Yeah, yeah, because that was the way television was back in the day. 
So any final thoughts? One thing that bothers me a little bit, admittedly too much, is when people write science fiction elements that they could have looked up or they could have asked someone and they end up sounding a little bit silly. The space cucumber's main weapon was an anti-proton beam. Pure, pure, I pure, it was pure. I don't know why they emphasize how pure the anti-proton it's, beam it's, was. It's like, these speakers go up to 11. It's <laughs> yes. one more. <laughs> so the only other thing I have, do you have a final thing? No, I, I've uh, shot my wad. Okay, I wonder if in the fictional Star Trek universe, there was enough intelligence left on that ship to slowly repair itself and 30 years later get attracted to the sound of whale song on Earth. Why didn't Star Trek The Next Generation pick up that obvious easy episode? Well, yeah, they reused everything else. Yep, that would have made tons of sense. All right, well, that's it for our very first Low Orbits episode. I'm Patrick Baird. I'm Steve Reitze. Keep watching the sky.